Good morning, Greater Alton. How's everybody doing today? Good, 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 good. Glad to hear that. I'm excited to be here. Anyway, we know it's short notice, but next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we would like to invite the church here for a short celebration service. Uh, specifically, what we are going to be looking at and talking about is this special contribution that we've been talking about. We want to let you know what our plans are, uh, what we're hoping to raise, what it's going for, and uh, how you can be a part of that. Guys, I believe it's an incredible uh, growth opportunity for each of us individually and collectively. Uh, Jesus said very specifically that you can't be faithful with the bigger things in the kingdom unless you're faithful with the small things. And he was talking specifically about our money. And so, guys, there's an opportunity here. We know we do know it's short notice, uh, but we did want to take advantage of the break in the NFL schedule to have that. So if at all possible, we invite you to come out, and we'd love to have you here. We have been talking for the last three weeks of this year about the Gospel. Specifically, uh, our theme is taken from Colossians chapter 1. Our theme for the year is Fill Me. And that's taken from verse 9 of chapter 1. But we want to live like Colossians. Colossians were an example of people who lived by faith, and that faith showed up in their love. And Paul told told them very specifically that this faith and this love sprung from the hope held out in the true message of the Gospel. So we wanted to start the year to look at what's involved in the true message of the Gospel. And look at, break it down, and because we believe there's a possibility that you may not completely understand it correctly. So we want to encourage you with this. Um, two weeks ago, I talked about the fact that it's important that you do know the gospel. Because even in the first century, the earliest Christians, they, some of them were led away to believe a different gospel. And that Paul warned the Colossian church about believing this different gospel. And we talked about how there are different gospels today. You go and you turn on your TV and you can find a whole bunch of different stories about the good news about Jesus. And, and they vary depending on, and I can't, don't have time to get into those today. Uh, last week, we talked about that in order to understand the good news of the gospel, you have to understand the bad news first. You see, the Bible is one continuous story. You may not have ever looked at it this way, but it is a story from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. There is one storyline. There are several subplots along the way, but there is one main storyline, and it is a story of what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. And... We looked at the bad news because why? Because God has said He plans on restoring all things. Jesus said that in Matthew 19. And Peter restated again in Acts chapter 3, which is where we're going to start today. Uh, that He's going to restore all things. Well, what does that mean? What's He going to restore? Well, I believe if you want to look at what He's going to restore, you have to look at what was lost in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. And that's what we talked about last week was the bad news. And uh, if you, that piques your curiosity, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. I uh, do want to encourage you that uh, the sermon each week is available uh, online at greateraltonchurch.org. And uh, also the notes 
And we are going to begin a process. I'll talk a little bit more about this later on. But we are going to be, try to have the notes will be a little bit expanded. Uh, by tomorrow at this time or tomorrow evening, uh, we're going to have a few hyperlinks on there and a few references. Uh, there may be just some additional scriptures. There may be some additional notes. It may be links like this to articles that, are, that are talk about the subject that we're talking about in greater detail. Or maybe even have videos for you, YouTube generation. Um, but guys, we want you to understand the gospel clearly. And today what we're talking about is Jesus is the Messiah. Now I'm guessing when I make that statement, some of you go, yeah, yeah, that's right. I believe that. I mean, if you've ever used the term Jesus Christ, that is what you're saying is Jesus the Messiah. Christ means anointed one. And the Messiah was the one anointed by God as His King. As the King. And so when you, you say that, that's what we're saying. But I really believe that most of us don't give that a lot of attention. We don't really have a full understanding or a complete understanding of who the Messiah was supposed to be, what was prophesied about Him, how Jesus is definitely Him, and it's, it's, it's a growth area. But the bottom line is, guys, you cannot tell the Gospel without an understanding of the Messiah. When you look at the book of Acts and the apostles, the message that the apostles gave in the book of Acts, when they told the Gospel, Messiah was central to it. You couldn't tell the Gospel that they told without talking about the Messiah. If you look at these first two passages, you'll see what I mean here. Uh, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. It says, now let me just a little background in here in Acts chapter 2. This is the first presentation of the gospel. This is where Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he's talking to them about what's going on. He first talks and he tells them, hey, listen, uh, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit coming on us as the way it was prophesied in the book of Joel. And then he goes in and he starts talking about Jesus as the Messiah and about that He resurrected from the dead and that that was proof of Him as Messiah. And then in fact, Acts 2.36, this is what he said. He said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Then in Acts chapter 3, which is the second recorded telling of the Gospel. It may not have been the second time Peter told it, but it's the second uh, record of it that we have. He's talking about Jesus as Messiah, and he goes on, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 22. He says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to Him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And guys, what's he doing there? He's obviously talking about Jesus is the Messiah. He stated that earlier in Acts chapter 3. And what he's saying, he's telling you exactly what I just told you about there being one storyline through the Bible. 
Okay, that's what he's saying is Jesus was this Messiah that was first talked about to Abraham. Abraham was told, I'm going to bless all people through you, all nations. And then he goes on, Moses says what? God's going to raise up for you a prophet like me that you better listen to. And then he says, beginning with Samuel and all through the prophets, they've talked about these days. You see, what he's telling you is God told us He was going to do these things. And there's a storyline from prophecy to prophecy to prophecy to prophecy pointing to Jesus, pointing to what God is planning on doing. And with Jesus coming, He's already done. He hasn't done everything He said He's going to do, but He has up to where Jesus came. So guys, we want to look at this. And so as we start this, i got to ask you, what is your understanding of the Messiah? I don't need you to answer me. I, I hope you just you think about that. How deep is your understanding of the Messiah? How accurate is your understanding of the Messiah? Can you go to the prophets and say, I believe the Messiah was this or was to be this, and here's why. You see, when Peter spoke in Acts chapter 2, and he said, Jesus is the Messiah, you didn't have to explain to them anything about the Messiah. Because they were looking for the Messiah. They were the Jewish people, the people of Israel, whom God had told through the prophets that the Messiah was coming. And they were anticipating this. This was big news. It was exciting news. He didn't have to explain to him about it, and I encourage, I encourage you if you if you uh, use a Bible app, uh, or if you use an old paper Bible and a concordance, you can do it that way too. I'm told uh, to do a word search for the for the word Messiah just in the Gospels, just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I believe you will be amazed when you look at all those passages. It is obvious that the people of Jesus' time understood prophecies about the Messiah, were anticipating the Messiah, were eager for the Messiah to come. And guys, that's part of the good news. We need to be able to tell that story. You see guys, one of the other side effects to this, of understanding this, to me, is that the validity of the prophecies are irrefutable proof that not only God's done what He said, but that He's going to do. And so guys, I, I, we want to look at this. We want to look at this. I just want to say, guys, I, as we talked two weeks ago about sharing a different gospel or believing a different gospel, I believe, guys, that if we don't have a correct understanding of Messiah, then we have a different gospel. We have a either abbreviated version of the gospel or we have a distorted version of the gospel. Now, with that being said, as we talk about this today, I want to be very clear. I cannot begin in 45 minutes to give you everything the Bible says about the Messiah. Look at all the prophecies and go through it. That's not my goal here today. My goal here today is simply to throw open the door to the significance of understanding Jesus as Messiah and what the Messiah was supposed to be like and all the prophecies concerning what was to come when He came and what was to happen after He came, or as a part of Him coming, so that we can accurately share the Gospel. 
And then hopefully you are motivated to investigate this dip bigger yourself. I would certainly hope, with some of the things I'm going to say today, that it stirs some thoughts, stirs some questions. And that's where we're going. With that being said, first thing we want to talk about is what was prophesied about the Messiah. The first thing is, it was prophesied the Messiah would bring God's eternal kingdom to earth. One of the main things about the Messiah is He was to be a king. He was to be a descendant of David who was God's most righteous king. He was to descend from His bloodline. And He was to be a king, but more than just be a king, He was going to be a king of a, of a, of a kingdom that was not going to ever go away. You see, David's kingdom faded. And the kingdom of Israel eventually was overrun by other nations. But guys, here's what happens. Here's what it talks about in Daniel chapter 7. And the book of Daniel has multiple prophecies that are honestly not some of the more difficult ones to understand because they explain themselves. But in Daniel chapter 7, this is what it says. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, guys, that was some of the big deal. All of a sudden, there would be one king, and it would be God's king. And he would rule God's kingdom forever. Second thing, guys, is that what happened with the Messiah's coming, he would punish evil people for their deeds. I encourage you to read on your own Psalms 37 and Psalm 73. I'm going to read two verses from Psalm 37 later, but... What they talk about is that God's going to do away with evil people. Is anybody else ever bothered when evil people get their way? I don't know if you've been paying attention to it or not, but there's, there's an exposing of sexual predators in this country. Have you heard about this? Yeah. And uh, one of the more fascinating ones, or, or disgusting ones, I guess I should say, is this doctor with USA Gymnastics who has abused all these female gymnasts. And... I've heard he was being sentenced this week, and at his sentencing, they allowed victims to testify. And on the radio, they were reporting that he had asked that he not have to listen to them tell about the trauma that he inflicted upon them because it was too mentally bothersome for him. Is that sick? I mean, I mean, it just blows me away, guys. How do you even think that? And guys, you don't have to look far. Alright? You are surrounded by evil people in this world. People who have no understanding of God, who do not care about God, who live for themselves and their selfish desires. Turn on the news, open up Facebook, whatever you want to do, they're there. And... Part of the prophecies of the Messiah is that's going to go away. The time is coming when evil will be gone. That's exciting. Going on, guys, the third thing it was prophesied the Messiah would do is He'll restore creation. 
Last week we talked about, when we talked about the bad news of the, the bad news of Genesis 3, is that creation was changed. Creation went from working with man and cooperating with man to resisting man. That was part of the punishment or the curse for Adam, where God had originally provided for man for food. Now it says you're going to have to work for it yourself and the earth is going to fight you. It's going to produce thorns and thistles. You're going to work it. You're going to work hard. You're going to sweat. And it's going to produce thorns and thistles which are going to fight you. And we also looked at Romans chapter 8 where it talks about that creation is longing for the sons of man to be revealed because they've been subject, creation has been subject to frustration and decay. And so they're longing for this day also. There's a passage in Isaiah 35. In verses 1 and 2, this isn't in your notes, but I'll read it. It says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And guys, one of the things we're going to have on the, on the notes online is a hyperlink. And all it is... We may just copy this page, but there's like 15 passages in the Bible that all talk about this restoration. There are several where, or a handful, that talk about there being a new heaven and a new earth. And this was supposed to be part of, or their understanding was, of the Messiah coming. Uh, the fourth one is that the Messiah would resurrect from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter first presented the gospel, he quoted Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And he's talking about the Messiah, where David prophesied that he won't let his Holy One see decay. And Peter went into detail about, we know David's dead. David's body's in his grave. David's body's decayed. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah, that he would be resurrected from the dead. And were witnesses that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. And guys, even go farther, the book, of, the book of Job is considered by most biblical scholars to be the oldest book in the Bible. Not only the oldest written, but uh, the oldest story. Now, I'm, I know there's, there's debates which way it goes, but it's generally accepted as that. He seems to exist either before or outside of the nation of Israel. And a number of people believe it's before. And I say that only to say... This is an understanding of this resurrection was even in, in Job. In beginning in, in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, this is what it says. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh will I see God. I will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Guys, I love this passage because not only does it illustrate that there was an understanding of God resurrecting us all from the dead from a very early time, but that Jesus, we would see Him on the earth. And that's what the apostles were told by the angel in Acts chapter 1 after Jesus ascended into heaven. They go, He's going to come back. The same way you saw Him leave, He is coming back. And that understanding went on for centuries before. 
The really exciting part for me, when we when we're talking about a fuller understanding of the gospel, is is that last line. He goes, "How my heart yearns within me." You see, guys, that is what the gospel is supposed to do. It is supposed to create this yearning and this expectation for God to do what He's promised to do in an incredibly exciting way. And to give us hope beyond what we see. If this life is what you're about, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be bummed. But there's so much more. And the prophecy of the Messiah concerned this. Um, the last one here, guys, is that the Messiah would be a, a suffering servant. And that's in Isaiah 52 and 53. Um, by suffering, we mean sacrificial. He is going to sacrifice his life. I mean, Isaiah 53 is one of the, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but is one of the prophecies that is very plain. Prophecies in general, as a rule, you kind of got to go, got to kind of turn your head. You know, it's kind of like looking at shapes in the clouds. You got to look at them just right sometimes because they're not written as plain as we would like. Isaiah 53 is one of the simplest ones to understand, in my opinion. If you look at Jesus' life and you look at Isaiah 53, it is plain that Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. And it was predicted that he would be, he would suffer. Those were all prophecies about the Messiah. You guys now want to talk about just facts concerning the messianic kingdom or the kingdom prophecies. Because as you look at these, you're going to find this. I don't have to ask for a raise of hands because I know. If I ask you, who has looked at the prophets and turned and closed them because you can't understand what they're saying? Right? You kind of, I'm guilty. I set them up on a shelf. I know. I can know about Jesus dying for my sins and me going to heaven without knowing anything about the prophets. So why do I need to know about them? Those are for theologians and for preachers and for people who care. Alright? I can know the story of Jesus without them. I don't believe that. I believe we need to know. They are there for a reason. And it's so much more than just us being saved and getting to go to heaven. Uh, so we're going to talk about some facts real quick about these, about these prophecies. Number one, the first one is that some prophecies are pretty plain. As I just talked about with Isaiah 53. You look at that and it talks about Jesus, uh, about God not abandoning His Holy One to the grave. Well, that's not too hard to see. He's talking about the resurrection. When He talks about His, uh, about the, the punishment, the pain he would go through, and the way, the ridicule he would, he would endure. It was pretty plain. That's what Jesus did. Even when you go, you know, I don't know if you ever heard anybody say that Jesus was most likely not an attractive person. Physically attractive. Why do we say that? Well, because in Isaiah 53, it says that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In fact, it goes on to say, he was one from whom men hid their faces. Okay? That's not an attractive, not, he's not describing an attractive person there. Some, some, some of the prophecies are very plain. Some of the others are seemingly very cryptic. You look, you read them and you go, what's that talking about? How is, what does that mean? 
And I want to say it leads to the third fact, guys. This is by God's design. Why is that? Well, we're going to continue to talk about that in, in just a little bit. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip over there. But God has designed it so that you don't just read it on first glance and understand it and follow it. Okay? I would do it differently myself. But He didn't consult me. He did it His way. I believe, it's, and again, I'll talk about it more, you got to want it. You gotta want it. Next one, guys. Some prophecies have, some have clearly not been fulfilled. Remember, I spoke earlier about the evil people not being done away with. In Psalms 37, this is what it says. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Guys, you look around and the wicked are still here, are they not? And as far as I'm seeing, the meek have not inherited the land and enjoyed peace and prosperity yet. Maybe one person somewhere has. But I don't know. I, guys, not all, not all the prophecies have been fulfilled. Uh, the next fact, the fifth fact about the prophecies is that seeking is required for understanding. Guys, that's what I believe. That's why God intended for some of these to be cryptic. When Jesus was on the earth and He's telling stories in parables, His disciples came to Him and said, why do you do it this way? Why do you speak in parables? In fact, it said He didn't say anything to the people without using parables. And He said, "He said, well, it's so that you'll be ever learning but never understanding. And He tells them, He goes, to you the secrets of the kingdom have been given. I mean, God has given us the message in such a way that you don't, it's just not obvious. It just doesn't jump out there. He requires seeking. That's why Jesus said that if you seek, you'll find. That's why He told His disciples, don't throw your pearls to pigs. You gotta have, somebody's gotta want this. Somebody's gotta value this. Another passage there is in Romans chapter 2 that you may want to look at. Um, the last thing, guys, the last fact I want to talk about very briefly about these prophecies is that they inspired hope. They inspired hope. Guys, fulfilled faith inspires me to have hope. When I see what God has done, that God, first of all, said He was going to do something, and then He did it. It gives me hope that He's going to do the other things He said He's going to do. And you see, guys, that's what was... And God used them that way. His people, the nation of Israel, was in captivity. And He used these prophecies to say, it ain't always going to be this way. Number one, you're going to get released from captivity after 70 years. Number two, I got some bigger things planned. And that's why when you look in, if you do that word search for Messiah in the Gospels, you'll find such anticipation about Him is because it inspired hope. And it should do the same for us today. In fact, we're going to be talking more specifically about hope over the next three weeks. Because that's where this whole series came from in Colossians 1, where they talks about their faith and their love that says that springs from the hope held out in the true message of the gospel.
See guys, if you're not living your life every day with hope, and I'm getting ahead of myself, there's a problem. You're missing something. And that's exciting. So how do I go about understanding these prophecies? Well, i got three things I want to talk about and we'll be done. Number one is I value understanding. You have to value understanding them. If you don't value it, they ain't going to come to you. God's not going to let you trample understanding His prophecies underfoot if you don't care about them. You've got to value this. Look at this, guys. This passage here in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, concerning this salvation, the, pro- the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the Gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Guys, I got that passage there because if you look at this, this this just blows me away. God used prophets, His men, to give us these prophecies. And these prophets longed to understand them, longed to know when and under what circumstances they were going to be fulfilled. And if you know the lives of any of these prophets, if you've read your Bible to any extent at all, you know, forgive me, I'll put it blunt, their life sucked. Specifically, if you read about the prophet Jeremiah. His life was awful. In fact, it gets so bad, he complains to God. He goes, God, you've deceived me. You tricked me. You told me you wanted to tell these people all these good things, and all they do is beat me up. And that's a literal. They beat him up. They threw him in a pit. I mean, they were. it was awful to him. And then he goes on to say, But if I say I'm not going to speak about this, if I try to bottle it up inside, I can't. You put a fire in my bones that makes me speak. And you guys, prophets were killed for giving these prophecies. And they longed to understand them. And here we are ignoring them. You see guys, these are valuable. And if you want to understand them, you're going to have to value them. And you're going to have to see the value in this. One other passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. This is what it says. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Folks, what is he saying? He's saying these, these prophetic messages are here for us and they, they're like a light shining in a dark place. And if you don't consider that valuable enough to look for, you won't look for it. And God won't give you any understanding. First thing. Second thing is I submit to God's process of seeking. We talked about that earlier, that seeking is required for understanding. 
Well, I'm, I, I hate to tell you, but God has a process for seeking that I personally don't like. He didn't ask me again about it. But God's process is twofold. Number one, it is more difficult than I want it to be. I don't mind reading that big book of Jeremiah, followed by Ezekiel and Isaiah, as long as I understand it on the first reading. Okay? Maybe the second or third. The other thing, the other part of God's process of seeking that I don't like is that it takes time. It really does. I want it all at once. It's kind of like patience. I want patience and I want it now. You know, I want patience so that I can go through tests. I don't want tests to develop patience. I want nothing required from me. Jeremiah 29, uh, God's speaking to a specific group of people, specifically those, those exiles that I talked about earlier. And this is what he tells them. He tells them a principle that is just, it's true, that applies to their specific situation. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's a conditional seeking, guys. You've got to value it and you've got to submit to God's process, which means you're going to have to put in work and time. Third thing, guys, is that I become a person of faith. Now, when I say that, I've just got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't think that's something that most of us really want. I think we want a faith. I think we want to have faith that we're going to be going to heaven. But we don't want to be a person of faith. You see, if you're a person of faith, it's going to impact every decision you make. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you spend your money. It's going to change your attitudes. You're going to have to learn how to forgive. Guys, look at this passage here in Hebrews chapter 11. You see, this is what you were called to. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then in verse 13, this is what it says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You see, guys, I don't want to live my life that way. My desire is not to live my life on this earth as a foreigner, as a stranger, as somebody just passing through. I want to set up camp. I want to build a house. I want to build a house that's going to last. I want to build a legacy. But you see, guys, if you're going to be live as a man, of, man or woman of faith, you're going to have to reevaluate those things. I've got a passage here for a quote in my research this week that uh, I came upon, and I want to read it to you. It's concerning, the gentleman is talking about the exiles, again, that I was talking about earlier. Uh, if you know the story of the Bible, 
uh, God's people, the Israelites, were overrun by the Babylonian nation, and he destroyed Jerusalem, and he, he, they drug off a whole bunch of people to Babylon. That was normal practice. They did leave a remnant behind, but most of them, you know, they took a, a large group, large number of them. Um, and then when it came time, after 70 years, they were released from that. Jeremiah prophesied about it, and they were released to go back. But believe it or not, not everybody left because they were comfortable. They were content in Babylon. And this is the quote concerning them that this author of this article wrote. He says, Judah knew what the kingdom life was all about, but they didn't live it. They liked the idea of it, but it wasn't their dominant desire. And so with us, we must live the kingdom now if we wish to be in it. This is the sense behind the Lord's repeated promise that we can right now live and experience eternal life. Insofar as we act and think and feel now as we will do in the kingdom, so far we have the experience of the eternal life. What is he saying is, we have the opportunity to live God's way now. The way that everybody's going to live when Jesus comes back, we can live right now. We have the choice to do that. But that requires faith. That requires believing that giving up what we value in this life is not as important for what's to come. It's easy to say. It's difficult to do. And you see, guys, when you have real faith, it's going to change the way you do things. It really is. I'm going to tell you a small story. Small story. My wife and I have, uh, we each have a little stash of money we keep to do with what we want. Okay? We refer to it as our underwear drawer money. It's because that's where my wife first kept her stash. Mine is actually in a box of shotgun shells. Doesn't, doesn't sound as funny. But anyway, and it's where we each come up on cat. For me personally, I look forward to it. It's what I want to, when I go on vacation, the family goes on vacation, I want to spend money. If I want to see a t-shirt, or if I want to buy everybody something, I want to go zip lining, whatever I want to do, I've got the money in my pocket to do it with, and Susan can't scrutinize me for it. Okay, that's my motive. She can't, I've got my money, it's not coming out of the checking account, dear. This, I know it's not in the budget, it's in my budget. That's what mine is, one year at Christmas time. We were shopping, and I bought everybody hoodies. Just because I wanted to do it. It's impulsive. That's what my money's for. And we do different things with this money like that. And so, back at the beginning of December, we sold one of our car washes. Uh, it was kind of like cashing in your retirement. And in the process of this, I received a check. It was 900 and some dollars. And I decided that I wanted that check cashed. And that was part of my underwear drawer money. Susan was okay with that. And so we were on the way to the bank. Uh, to do a bunch of other things. And on the way to the bank, Susan and I are having a conversation. And we're having a conversation about, literally about Greater Alton as a church. And we are envisioning, uh, I envision a time when Greater Alton doesn't require so much as a church. You know, here at the end of service, 
We're going to pass the baskets and we ask the members to give. If you're visiting with us, we don't want, we're not asking for your money, but it requires money to pay the mortgage on the building and keep the lights on to pay the staff. I envision a time where Greater Alton doesn't require as much from the people to pay our overhead. And I envision a time, specifically, and Tim and Alan and I are all three in agreement on this, where we do more to help the poor. And I also envision time, this is, this is my personal vision, where we're not asking you, hey, here's a need, take care of it, like so many of you generously did to help uh, Travis. Uh, last week? Last week? Anyway, that so many of you helped with. But it's, it's one where... Each of us as individuals, we're out in the world and we see needs and we take care of them. And I was, was talking to my wife about this and I was saying, you know that crossing guard in Edwardsville? There's a crossing guard that's been helping kids across the street for decades in Edwardsville. It's an o- older black woman, a thin lady, always wears a skirt no matter what the weather is. I don't know her name. I've seen her hundreds of times. Sandy is her name. Yes. And you needed it, Andy. That's what happens when you interrupt me. Sandy is her name. And I just tell Susan, I say, wouldn't it be so cool when you saw that lady, you know, just to walk up and give her a $100 bill? Wouldn't that be cool? Well, we're in the bank, and we're having multiple deposits from multiple locations, and it takes a while to count them. I've done the quarters. I'm done with my job. I'm sitting in a chair. Susan has brought me that check for over $900 in now cash, and it's in my pocket. And I'm sitting there waiting for Susan. She tells me she's going to the bathroom, and it was so cool. Susan comes out of the bathroom, and guess who has walked into the bank? Sandy has walked into the bank. And Susan comes out of the bathroom... And while she was in the bathroom, I see Sandy walk in and I'm like, well, I guess some of that ain't going in the underwear drawer, is it? I mean, is that the Holy Spirit talking to you or what? And so I walk up to her, I introduce myself to my wife and I have noticed, and I gave her $200. And guys, a few weeks later, I told Susan, I said, I'm going to put this $100 bill in my pocket, or my wallet, and the Holy Spirit's going to tell me who to give it to. And... I was in touch with this lady on Craigslist to buy a wheelchair for my mom. We didn't buy it. And she starts trying to sell me a purse and tells me how desperate she is. I think I know who i got to give that $100 bill to. Guys, that may seem like a really small thing. Okay, me taking extra money and giving it away. But the truth of the matter is, if you're going to be a man or woman of faith, God's going to call you to things like that in a much bigger way. Okay? And if you're going to be a man, if you're going to understand the prophecies of the Messiah, the way I believe we should, you're going to be have, have to be committed to being a man or woman of faith. You're going to have to be committed to that. And so guys, I don't know where you are today. Guys, I, I hope that you have had an eye-opening like me that says, I don't understand the Messiah the way I should. I do not understand everything about these prophecies. But I'm growing. I hope if you're there, you're willing to make a commitment to say, I want to know more about them. You see, guys, you don't understand the Gospel if you don't understand the basic storyline of the Bible and that it contains these prophecies. And I want you to.
I want us to. Let's go to our Father in prayer and we'll be done, okay? Father, you, the story of the Gospel is exciting. Father, it is exciting to watch you work. It is exciting to realize what your tr- full intention is for this world. What your full intention is for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus as King, as Messiah. Father, it changes us. Father, I know that you want us to be a light to this world in the greater Alton area. I know you want us to share the true message of the gospel. And Father, I pray that you can continue to open our eyes to everything that's involved in that. Father, I pray right now for individual hearts. Father, that's how this starts. Father, stir us to understand what you've told us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.